Hey everybody, it's Bevan. Welcome to Bevan, a femme over 40 and her friends podcast. I'm your host, Bevan. I've said my name three times. It's time to start the show. Today, I am so excited to introduce you to my friend, Scarlett. Um, she is just one of my, truly one of my favorite artists, just like objectively. And that's how we became friends because we connected and collaborated. Um, we don't really talk about fan art because she's not really doing that anymore um, in this episode, but she does beautiful work of Dolly Parton, who we are both big fans of. And if you're familiar with my life or my aesthetic um, and you've seen the big pink Dolly portrait that used to be in my uh, living room in Los Angeles, she made that. Um, that was a gift from her to me. Um, and I framed it in this beautiful, ornate uh, gold frame. And, uh, I can't have it in my house cause it's too big for even one surface of the house I'm living in now. Um, uh, living real tiny, but, um, I love her just the same. Everything she makes is beautiful. I love her textile art. Um, just, uh, she's such a satisfying artist to know, um, because she just keeps getting better and you're going to hear it in this episode. She also says this like comment that wasn't even, um, a response to a question I asked that was just so profound in this episode. She talks about art school and whether or not art school is necessary. Um, and spoiler, she doesn't think it's necessary. She gives some great examples of places where you can go and learn technique online now um, that exist and you don't need to go to an art school. She went to an art school and she's now a professional artist working full time as an artist, but she says you don't need to go to an art school. I am very passionate about debunking uh, the myth of the education institution. I truly think um, it's something that we're just trained into feeling we need to do for our value. And I say this as a woman with a Juris Doctorate degree, like I went all the way. I still have all the debt for this degree I cannot sell. It's like I got a mortgage on my brain, but I didn't even get a house out of it. You know what I mean? Like I just, I think there's so many options about how you can deliver your work to the world. Um, and I always say, don't let uh, school get in the way of your good education or whatever that saying is. It's just... There are options out there. And I really wish I had done more um, life work before I decided to spend all that money on all that education. And what's ironic is while I was a lawyer, I kept daydreaming about how I could get out of it. And I would daydream about getting a master's in public policy because everyone I knew who got an MPP after undergrad made twice as much as me. And so I was like, oh, I really, I did get the wrong degree. I should have gotten an MPP. I also fantasized about going back to school and getting my master's in library and information science uh, because law librarians have a pretty chill career. Um, one of my best friends is a law librarian. Um, and you know what? Other than his like war uh, with um, some of his vendors, he's like, got a pretty great career. Um, but that's a career, right? I didn't want a career like that. Um, but I thought I did when I was a lawyer. Um, I would also fantasize about getting an MFA when I started identifying myself as an artist. That was very tender for me. I was like probably about 30 years old. I'd been doing drag for many years. Um, I had been, uh, I had a podcast, I was blogging. I had a lot of art things that I was doing and to really give myself the language of calling myself an artist was a big deal. And I just want to challenge you, if you're not calling yourself an artist, but you do make art, think about, think about identifying as an artist. Think about giving yourself that. Um, it was really helpful for me. And when I was doing that, I was considering a master's in fine arts. Uh, and then I realized there is no MFA for what I do and who I am. Um, and a good friend of mine said that basically, unless you have uh, a specific thing you need to learn from that MFA program that that's the only place you can get it. You don't need it. Or if you want to teach. So if you want to be able to teach, which a lot of my artist friends are now MFAs who are teaching full time. 
Um, and not a lot of them are super fulfilled by that experience. Um, but it's a good like carryover job if you can do it um, while you're still making your own art and kind of engaging in what you want to be making for the world and what you feel individually guided to make. Something that's been very clear to me lately through the cosmos and through tarot and through all the psychics I follow and I'm friends with is that right now is a let go and flow time. Like every, like so many planets are in retrograde. Like we are just breathing. Things are falling apart, uh, which I always think are falling together, right? But plans keep falling apart. Like for me, I was supposed to be on the road doing uh, retreats, teaching at some retreats uh, in the next couple months. All of those are canceled. So here I am on week 74 of my quarantine um, and learning how to love life here. You know, um, my loneliness is not killing me. It's saving me and saving other people because I'm taking my lungs out of the spread of COVID and I'm not mutating any viruses for, for any virus out there. Anyway, I am so excited for you to meet Scarlett. Um, and I want to just say that the best way to support this podcast is through my Patreon page, patreon.com slash FKDP, which stands for Fat Kid Dance Party. There's a link to this in the show notes. Uh, that's my aerobics class for anyone who feels left behind by mainstream fitness. So if you've ever been called too fat, too much, or felt too awkward to dance, mine is the supportive class for you. My Patreon membership starts at two bucks a month. That includes all of my Zoom aerobics classes. I teach on Saturdays. Um, I also do a Monday class once a month. And uh, I also have a full membership at 25 bucks a month, which is less than a soul cycle class. Um, and that is uh, a whole membership of recorded videos. I hike into the woods, bring my equipment and I film a whole aerobics class. It's really beautiful. And I bring the outdoors to you. There's a 10 minute class, a 20 minute class, two 55 minute classes, a chair aerobics class, and a 45 minute canna size class. And that's slower, more repetitive choreography for an optional cannabis experience. All of that plus bonus videos from other body positive instructors I love and trust. And all of that is 25 bucks a month and it's on demand on your schedule. And it's the best way to support this work. And I really appreciate you tuning in. Uh, I hope you'll subscribe to the podcast and leave it a happy suggestion review or whatever. Uh, that's what I'm supposed to say. So I'm valuing my work and saying all those things. And I am so excited for you to be on our metaphysical porch with me and Scarlett and cozy up with your favorite childhood blanket and on with the show. Scarlett, welcome to the podcast. Yay. Thank you for having me. I'm so happy to be here. Yay. I'm so glad you're here. Um, I'm saying this in the pre-show, but I think you have so much that you've done in the last couple of years that is so relevant to these times that I think people will find a lot of value in. Um, and I always like to start business in the front. So tell us about what you do and what you offer uh, in the world. Yes. So I am an illustrator, a full-time work at home illustrator, which is awesome, but it definitely has its ups and downs. Um, so I have been doing art most of my life. I went to art school and I, uh, I basically, uh, I went into fashion design, if that makes any sense. And I studied textile design, ended up going to Paris and working for, um, big designers and doing all of the textiles for the runway shows. Um, and from there, I just kind of always evolved and changed and learned new things and always went into different career paths that were in the art field. And now I'm an illustrator. So that's um, what I do in life. <laughs> and there, that's a very abbreviated version. But um, and I also uh, do a lot of rescue work. So um, I do TNR, which is trapped neuter release of 
feral cat populations. And that's very important to me as just an animal rights advocate and just the fact that we need to help every animal we see uh, as much as we can. And um, yeah, I try to show that on Instagram that like, even just by trapping one cat and getting them fixed, the amount of uh, help, I guess you're doing to the population by reducing kittens being born outside. So I share that with my followers and encourage people to try to do the same because everything counts, you know? Yeah, totally. Um, <laughs> tell me about, so you, but you also, in addition to being an illustrator for like clients and stuff, you're also like a fine artist who has a whole website with lots of cool stuff <laughs> your customers. Yes. yes. So I run a shop called Dirty Lola and I started that shop. Um, that was like my side hustle. Um, probably seven years. Gosh, it's been seven years already. Wow. Um, so I was working as an in-house illustrator seven years ago for a stationary company. So I was, you know, like paper products. Um, so I was their in-house illustrator and it was a very good job. It was very like reliable, stable income. You know, I was getting paid decent and I just knew that's not what I wanted to do though. I was incredibly unhappy at that job. And um, it just, for me, there was something like soulless about it, <laughs> you know, going into this office every day and creating this very generic artwork that was going to end up on products. And I just knew, and I wasn't super valued there and just felt like, okay, there's gotta be something bigger for me. And so I would like rush home every day at four o'clock and I would, you know, go home and I'd start painting and illustrating and just honestly, it just kind of happened. Like I didn't have a plan. I just started making art and putting it on my Instagram. And then people were like, Hey, can I buy that? And I was like, what you want to buy this? It was so, I remember the first time I got GMs about purchasing my art, I was just kind of blown away. Cause I didn't, I was just kind of experimenting, you know? And so then I ordered, I, or I started an Etsy shop. And then from there, I was very lucky within like two years, I was making more money with my Etsy shop than I was with my day job. And um, I stayed at that day job for way too long, like probably three years longer than I should have, just because I was always ingrained with that. Like, you can't work for yourself. You can't be self-employed. Like my parents always had this, you know, path that you have to be, um, I don't know, something like a graphic designer and, you know, just never do anything on your own. So um, I just saved a ton of money. And then finally, when I felt like I had enough of a cushion, I quit. And now I've been fully self-employed for, I think, five years, three, four years, four years. <laughs> so that's been my journey. Oh, and so you sell, so I, it's, it's not just like the Etsy shop though. Like you also, like you have your own website, uh, right. And you do sales on that. Yes. Um, and you keep, what I love about you too, is like, as an entrepreneur, like, this is the thing that you want to touch on with your parents too. Like very few of us are raised in an entrepreneurial environment where we're taught, like, uh, we're, we're frequently taught you trade your time for money, right? Like you go yeah. into a lot of debt to get an education, you trade yeah. your time for money. And then in maybe 50 years, you might be able to retire. <laughs> uh, right. And like, but like the entrepreneur is really just leveraging their time to make money, like in a, in a different way. Like it's, there's an ownership aspect of like, you know, I, I think there's like benefits and detriments, right? Like I feel very frustrated and annoyed by all the parts of my 
work that require me to do stuff I don't want to do, right? Like yeah. I'm, sure. I love teaching aerobics. I do not love like marketing, you know, but yeah. like I do them both because that's what I have to do. Right. Um, right. But there is something to like taking that leap. It's so scary, but it's so great. And like something cool I've seen you do is you keep leveling up and innovating and doing new things and creating new offerings. Like even just recently you, you bought a kiln. So yes, hearing that it's not, it's on back order for six months, but I now, I was like, I have to figure out while I'm waiting for this kiln to come, I got resourceful and found a lady that I can rent her kiln from. Mm. So I just, you know, I always find a way and I'm always trying to level up and yeah, I wasn't born into entrepreneurship. I was definitely told to just always have a job and never ask for more money. I should be happy at what I'm at. And I mean, I remember my parents just being like, oh my gosh, no, you can't quit this job. You can't quit your day job. And then people dream of having the day job that you have. And it's just like, no, this isn't meant for me. And it's scary to take that risk, but I really advise people if they feel that to, to find a way to make it happen because it was the best thing I ever did for my life. Really, really. And I think like a lot of us are taught to be afraid of the things that set us free. And like, for some of us, being our own boss is the best possible outcome for me. Totally. I love being. Yeah. I mean, even mental health at the, at the, the job I was at, it was, it was such a toxic work environment and it was just, I mean, it started to make me toxic. It started to make me be like a person that I didn't like because of the environment I was in and to step away from that and move on years later and kind of like think back and be like, wow, that was really bad for my health, you know? And not every, you know, a lot of jobs I hear those stories are very common, you know, to have workplace drama and all that kind of stuff. So it's 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 nice to work for yourself and not have any of that. <laughs> of course you have other challenges as you know, but not those at least. Yeah, not those. And I mean the nice thing you really are the sum of the people you spend the most time with and you're not at your job you're not picking your coworkers unless you're no. boss. like you're subject to whoever's around exactly. and I will say also just my experience from being a lawyer like I was so mentally and physically ill from that job and I wasn't even aware of how much it was eroding my health and right and then years later you look back and you're like oh wow right <laughs> Wow, that was a dark place. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, oh, things are so you're told that that's the right thing to be doing. You got your law degree. Now you're in a law firm and that's what you should be doing. And, you know, and then you look back and you're like, no, that wasn't my path. Yes, absolutely. So. And like finding your own path. Um, so something cool that I think you do well is you make, you really put your own flavor into your art. Like you have these judgmental cat plates. Um, yes, just snarky cats. Cat. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was like, I mean, I've been doing CatCon for a few years before the pandemic. I don't know if you know that convention in LA. It's amazing. Yes. Um, and I've always done cat artwork and I've always worked with vintage plates just because I'm such a vintage hoarder. I love going to, you know, antique malls and things like that. And I would always find these gorgeous plates that we're just so discarded. No one uses these things anymore. And they're such like, I mean, they're all hand painted in like Bavaria and just, just like, you know, Limoges, all these amazing like plate factories that had these ladies painting on these plates like hundred years ago. And now they're just sitting in a thrift store in an antique and you're like, oh, this is such a beautiful piece of history. And so I would always buy them and repurpose them. 
and people loved what I was doing, you know, putting my artwork on the plates. And I remember one day I came across like a 70s cat plate. So the cat image was already on the plate and it was just so grumpy and like, and I just was like, this plate's amazing, but I don't know what to do with it. And then I was like, you know, and I had like, I just saw all of the sassy words coming out. And so I customized those. And then I started making my own cats and putting them on plates. And it was just kind of an evolution from there. And then I was like birds. And I did the honest bird collection of the birds saying like, I'm happy you're alone or leave me alone or please shut up. And it was just, yeah, people seem to really love those. And it's, it's so, it's so funny to see people's reaction to it, you know? Ah, oh, it is. They are really funny and like um, such a perfect thing and an unexpected thing, right? Because if you walk into a home, you expect the plate to say something like "Live, laugh, love," and it's yes. like, maybe it's ugly or whatever it says. <laughs> yes, and I, I actually the company I worked for did a lot of like "Live, laugh, love" stuff, and yeah, I just that was so like cringy to me by the end of it. So yeah, the snark definitely comes from working in that environment and being like, no. <laughs> So yeah, the plates um, have been really fun. And yeah, I've got a kiln now it's coming. And so hopefully I can start making my own ceramics and pottery. So I will still be making vintage plates, but I also want to start sculpting my own shapes, my own plates and doing my own original paintings, not just on the vintage ones. So I'll have, I'll have kind of like two lines going and, you know, I'll be able to offer food safe plates, which has been huge for me because in the past I would have people come up to me and be like I want to buy a whole set for my wedding and I'm like but they're decorative use only and so now this is the kiln is really exciting because I can offer so much more and I'm just I'm like so excited I just wish it wasn't on back order but that's okay I've got I've got a resource for the meantime so that's so cool and you're doing like little jewelry plates too now yeah yeah little because I would find really beautiful small plates and I'm like well it's a little small to hang on the wall but I was like I always have like little vintage dishes in my bathroom or like at the end of the night I take my earrings off and I just throw them in and so I'm like well maybe other people would like that and it seems like people have Lots of people, it seems like people love the mini things. You know, that little like obsession with mini things that people have like little tiny teapots and stuff. So yeah, like it's almost like the smaller the plate, people like it more. I'm like, that's strange, but uh, whatever. I mean, it's, it's good to know. And it's good yeah. to really have like an audience for it. Um, I love little jewelry plates, honestly. Like I use them, I mean, I would need them food safe, but I frequently use them for like tea or like to put oh, yeah. vitamins out, like, cause I need to have them out. For any time I eat, right? Like that's when I take my vitamins. And so yeah. if I don't have them out, I'll forget. Oh, interesting. See, there's a use, everyone has a use for it in a different yeah. way. So. <laughs> it's a great way to have like personality that's easy to travel along with you mm -hmm. and like putting stuff on your altar, all sorts of stuff. So many. Exactly. Yeah, totally. So it's, it's just been fun making them and I, and even more so people's reaction to it. It's been really fun. So and um, you've been doing also textile design, right? Like, I feel like I've seen your artwork on fabrics. Uh, yes, not so much in recent years, although I want to change that. I did have unique vintage in LA by uh, a print, a cat print from like a little head that I had designed and they, they, you know, they put it into a repeat pattern and that was on a dress, which was really exciting. Um, but I started out as a textile designer. So I majored in textile design 
And then when I went to Europe, when I moved to Paris, um, my first job was with um, John Galliano at Dior. Well, it wasn't at Dior. I was in the, John, the house of John Galliano, and then he was back and forth between Dior and his own line. And so we did a lot of uh, textiles and we had no computers and I'm not that old. It was more, they were so backwards that they didn't have computers. And I was so shocked. I said, what kind of fashion house doesn't have computers? So we did everything by hand. So if I painted a flower, I would go to the photocopy machine and photocopy it 20 times and then cut it out and then lay it out into a repeat pattern. And then we, we would send this huge, basically like collage, we'd roll it up and send it to Italy and then they would make the fabric for us. So it was quite a learning experience, but yeah, that was my first job when I was like 21 in, in Paris. And then from there I got hired at Christian Lacroix. I don't know if you know Christian Lacroix from AppFab, Lacroix. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, um, yeah, so I worked for them for like three or four years, three years, four years, I think. So, and then he went bankrupt. So the house went bankrupt and then it was really hard to kind of, as an American in Paris who didn't speak really wonderful French, I spoke French, but not really great. Um, it was really hard for me to find a job after the house went bankrupt. So I'd been in France for seven years at that point. And I had just said, you know what? I want to go home now. So came home and then I kind of was trying to figure out if I wanted to go to New York or LA because of fashion. And I remember thinking, oh, it'd be great to work for Betsy Johnson in New York. And she had an opening and I, I don't think I actually ended up applying because I know you're, I know you lived in New York, but I was just like, I can't live in New York. <laughs> for me, if it was LA or New York, I said, let's do LA. So actually I found the stationery, the job at the paper company in Los Angeles. And I flew out and interviewed with them and then got the job and moved to LA. And that for me, it was just a big choice, like LA or New York. <laughs> it really is. I think a lot of people have made that choice. And I'll say this, I don't ever want to live in New York again. So. Really? Okay. I don't want to offend you. <laughs> I mean, not offended. New York's great, but it's just, I don't know. It seems like too, too crazy for me to, I mean, LA is very like, it's just kind of chill, you know, kind of. <laughs> it was yeah. kind of moving away from, so I knew living in New York was never a forever choice for me. Um, I loved it at the time. I, I think I had a lot of sex in the city. Um, I mean, sex in the city came out when I was in college and law school. And so I feel like I just had that vibe of what New York could be and mm -hmm. moving and living in New York is really different than visiting New York oh, um, or watching movies about New York like it's very oh, like it's the hassle of 45 minutes to do anything if you want to go to the grocery store it's like 45 minutes like it's oh, like yeah. there's no zipping in and out of places there's hardly any parking lots like it's not I never got to park at Target which is just like having to take a giant thing of cat litter on a bus it's just oh, no. No. <laughs> everything is hard and like it's and it's really hard to just get yourself care done I just never felt like I could care for myself well enough and moving to LA was so fascinating because like I still got to have the big city experience without yeah. having to be in the big city because everywhere in LA is kind of a chill area except for like yeah. the very middle part of LA yeah yeah and, and and it's so sprawling that like even southern california feels like la you know yeah yeah definitely and i you know i've never I, I think i'd been to la once before i moved here and i remember just being like oh my gosh 
what's it going to be like? Is it so dangerous? Is all you ever hear is like in the movies, you know, how dangerous LA is. And I mean, I've now been here for what, like 10 or 11 years. And I, this is home for me, like a hundred percent, you know, I, I can't imagine living anywhere else at this point for, for me. So it's definitely been interesting. <laughs> Where did you grow up? I grew up in, I was born in Detroit and I grew up in Chicago and I do not like Chicago at all. I know people like get so upset when they hear I'm from Chicago and I, I talk bad about it, but I just, I, I think for me, it's not Chicago. It's the experiences that kind of scarred me in Chicago that have now just been like, all right, like, you know, just family stuff. And uh, I just don't like going back there. I don't, I didn't have a good childhood there. So I left as soon as I could. I graduated high school a year earlier so I could get the hell out of there. And then I went to New Orleans and studied at Loyola graphic design and hated it because it was a Christian school that my parents kind of forced. I, I applied to a bunch of art schools. I applied to like Savannah College of Art, and when I got accepted to all of them, my parents said, well, you can't go to an art school. And I, what? Well, then why did, why did I apply? So um, they basically said, you can go to Loyola because it's not an art school and you can do the graphic design program, which is not what I wanted to do. But I thought New Orleans is cool, so let's go. <laughs> so I went there for six months and that was just complete culture shock to a 17 year old from Chicago who was very sheltered. Um, so I stayed for about six months and then I finally was like, I have to get out of here. It's, it was just too crazy for, for me. And, uh, I went to San Francisco then, and that's where I ended up finally going to fashion school. I was able to finally get into a program there. That was what, what I wanted to do. So that's great. What school did you end up going to? I went to the Academy of Art downtown San Francisco. And I mean, I don't know. I, I really don't think anyone who's in, who has artistic capabilities needs to go to art school. I'll be fully, <laughs> fully transparent that my education did not get me where I went. I, I got there because I knocked on doors and basically, I mean, when I, my first week in Paris, I went to the house of Galliano with a portfolio and knocked on all the doors and, um, it was really my determination and my willingness to do internships and work for free, which uh, that's not great. I'm not going to say that's great, but it did get me in the door. And uh, from there, just learning everything and everything I've learned today, I really didn't learn in school. So I don't think you need art school. I really, especially now with all the resources like Skillshare and Creative, uh, Creative Live and all the other, I think there's, um, what's the other uh, online class? Uh, platform that's really big right now domestica oh. is really big so it's just like yeah I don't think people need art school if you're creative and you have motivation you can do it on your own so I couldn't agree more I'm mm -hmm. glad you said that like I had someone so I was really so obviously I went to college and law school I went straight through um partially because I just believed that my value was in my achievements um mm -hmm. which I don't believe anymore I really don't think you need to be an achiever to be a, have a happy and successful life oh, yeah. um and I think everyone gets to decide what that means for them mm -hmm. and um and I also like you know living out college law school lawyer life I recognized oh I did all the things they said um I should do and I am miserable and <laughs> mentally and physically ill and so 
what this isn't the life I signed up for. But like all through that time being a lawyer, I kept fantasizing about going back to school to do something else like library school, um, business school, um, master's in public policy, all these things were floating through my head. And then eventually, as I got into more, because I'd all even in law school, I was doing performance art. I was doing drag and stuff like that, right? So like I was I was experiencing myself as an artist. I was blogging and writing, I was podcasting. So I was creating a lot of art and it took me a long time to identify as an artist and identify that the creations I make are valuable um, mm -hmm. and unique and uniquely from my perspective. And so then I was like, oh, maybe I'll go get an MFA. And I got this incredibly great advice from someone who said, unless you want to teach, you do not need a terminal degree in art. Um, you and like really truly an MFA isn't valuable unless there's stuff you can learn from that program that you can't learn other places. But everything you need to be an artist, you have, you just have to keep learning and skills and developing your craft. And that's it. You don't need to go to some institution and get a degree. I would say the institutions teach less than what you can learn on your own or even on online classes. I mean, some of the classes I took in college were completely and totally useless. So yeah. yeah. I mean, it's just, it's money. And I hate to say it, the colleges, they just, they, they cost a fortune, which is a privilege that I was able to go. But my goodness, what a waste of money. What a, and of course, I, would, I don't want to admit that, but it's true. It's a waste of money. You don't need it. And I even think like what you're saying, I don't think we ever stop learning and growing. I feel like on my art journey and my art path, like I'm only in the middle. Like I have still so much more like you were saying about textiles like I have all these paintings I've been doing on the wall and I'm, I'm trying to find a way right now to get them onto clothing to start making my own clothes so that's really where my passion is you know going back to my degree but like I still have so much to learn I still have so much growth inside of me I mean it's never ending and I'm always going to keep learning and I'm always going to keep you know taking Skillshare classes and, and pottery. I just signed up for a pottery class in a few weeks to start doing my own hand building. And it's like, you're never just maxed out. You're always going to be learning and you don't need college. It just, you need to go out and do it yourself and find other ways or little classes here and there, you know? Yes, absolutely. I've learned that the tuition for entrepreneurship is failure. It's just, and it's learning from your failures because the true okay. failure is to not try. Um, and everything else is just a lesson or a win. And like, and it, I, and it was success looks like failure, like 80% of the time, if you're really trying. So it's <laughs> right. True. Yeah, yeah, totally. And part of it. And, and, and being willing to learn and be uncomfortable and do a new thing, that's always sharpening yourself. You're building brain matter. Like it's, it's yeah. helping you piece together the world in new ways. I just like, in the last couple of years, I've really rededicated myself to learning and reading and growing, and I am so much better for it. And I have way better artistic creation because I'm synthesizing a lot of things all the time in my own unique way. Exactly. No, it's that's and you just you never stop. If you're truly an artist and you're truly passionate about it, you're always going to be open to learning new things and getting better at it. I mean, I even think about the fact that I've been making plates for over five years now, and I'm still discovering new techniques to make them better. And, you know, like the food safe thing, like it's quite a process. Like I learned just last week that in order to make a food safe plate in my kiln, pinks don't translate well, which broke my heart because I love pink. I want to put a big pink bow on a cat. And they're saying, well, when you fire it with the food safe dyes, the pink is going to burn away 
gonna turn a different color. It's not gonna be pink. So it's just stuff like that. Like I'm almost 40 and I've been making plates for five years and I'm still trying to figure it all out. And I just think that, but that's what keeps me going because I wanna figure it out, right? Yeah. <laughs> I wanna get the recipe down to get it right. So, um, but yeah, I just think that you you never, you, your, your path as an artist has gotta be always open and there's never an end, just always, keeps going so yeah it's and that's if you can recognize and get comfortable with that like it's never ending this is just a journey it's a process of unfolding that's where I think the juice of life is it's like on that edge of like a little uncomfortable every day and then yeah very yeah. uncomfortable <laughs> yeah I always have days <laughs> where I'm like oh I should be so much further with what I'm trying to do and it's you know sometimes it's frustrating but you know we're, we're not meant to stay the same. We're not meant to keep creating the same art. If I was doing the same art today that I was doing five years ago, then that's kind of sad, you know? I mean, that's like you haven't grown at all. You're still in that rut of whatever that is. And, and sometimes, you know, I see other artists who, who have such a consistency with the same thing and they've been doing it forever. And sometimes I'm like, should I be doing that? Should I be more you know, have this one thing and just do it really well, um, which I think I mean, there's no shade to people who just have the one thing they've been doing for five, seven years, but that's just not what I, I'm, I get bored fast and I want to move on to another thing and I want to get into textiles and I want to make tea towels and I, I don't want to be stuck making one thing forever, you know? So. Yeah. Oh, I love that. I love that, that ethic and that, that perspective <laughs> on life. Um, I want to pivot and just ask you about um, the process of home buying because you had shared about this um, and you were like hunting around Southern California to find your dream home yes. and like we're not finding anything in your price range so then you took on the yes. the build it out version like the home reno uh, sort of yeah and I think like, I think my journey is very specific to Southern California and places that are obviously completely unaffordable now. There's a ton of them, Portland, I mean, Austin, lots of these, a lot of people who are living in these places can, can identify with my story. But yeah, I had, you know, I worked really hard uh, and had a little nesting where I was like, I think I can buy a home. And, and I pretty much did this all on my own. Like I didn't have help from my husband. I was really something I wanted to do. And so I was looking for two years to buy a home and couldn't find anything. And it was funny because as every time like three months had gone by, it was like, oh, okay, now everything's gone up 50,000. And then another cream. I mean, it was the point where I was like, oh shit, I should have just bought two years ago when I was in the very beginning of looking because now it, everything is $200,000 more than two years ago. So that was becoming like really um, stressful. And I, I was starting to feel super anxious because as time was going, everything was becoming more and more unaffordable. And so I had kind of sat down um, even though I was going to be doing this on my own, I, you know, I have a partner, I had to discuss with him, like, where, you know, where would you like to live? Like, should we be looking in Joshua Tree? Should we be looking in Palm Springs? Should we be looking? And I mean, how far out are we going to look? And so we did consider Joshua Tree. We actually drove out to Joshua Tree and looked at some mid-century, there was a mid-century house, which is very out of place in Joshua Tree. <laughs> but, um, but we looked at it, we loved it, but it was like, right next to a huge like development they were building 
so the house was like totally beautiful 50s house then there's a road and then there's a huge like a, like just those massive ugly houses that they make a gazillion of so we were like no and it was that was definitely within our price range and I was like I don't know I don't think we're gonna find anything besides this house in Joshua Tree and my husband was kind of like oh but man it's far out and yeah it's like and I think I could do it I could live out there and be by nobody and I would totally be happy he loves to sail you know he has a little sailboat and he go you know he was like oh my gosh I won't be able to sail anymore and you know for him I could tell it was like a kind of a little bit of a bummer of an idea to go out to the desert so I took that in consideration and was like okay maybe that's not where we're meant to be and so we kept looking and looking and looking and um I think one of the things about home buying in a place like Southern California you're never, you, you, there's certain things you're going to have to say like, okay, maybe this isn't my ideal, or maybe this isn't what I imagine for myself, but you have to be open-minded because in the beginning of my search, I was not open-minded. I was very much like, I have to have all these boxes checked in order for me to have this house. And that was literally, I mean, it was putting me back two years by me having these, um, these notions of what I had to have in a home was just like, it, it, it was, it was not realistic, I guess. And so basically once I reframed that, cause we were just losing out on everything. I said, okay, I'm not going to have a house that's moved in ready. I'm not going to have a house in an area that I think I want to live. So let's look further. And so basically we ended up taking like our, uh, a pen and circling the map of LA and like how far out can we go <laughs> to where we still feel like we're we're comfortable living in that area like like still close to LA so I mean we actually didn't go that far we were living in West LA which we loved West LA um which now it's so funny this is how I'm trying to um explain to people that you you, you don't think that you that you know what you think you know what you want but then when that changes you realize wow there can be something so much better so I thought West LA was where I was gonna live and die I didn't want to leave West LA I was gonna I'm like we have to stay here that was totally crazy everything was a million dollars that could never happen um so you know I, I think when you live in LA there's such like a stigma to the valley and like like places that are not considered cool right like oh, the valley this, the valley that, or like San Pedro or whatever. So um, I kind of like had heard, you know, people talk shit about it. So I've never lived there. I have no idea. So I was kind of like, well, no, do we really have to look way out in the, in the valley? And then we started to look out here and I was like, oh my God, I love all these little houses. I love the mountains. Yes, it's hot as hell in the summer, but it's such a nice different change of pace. And so we ended up finding something much more affordable out here, but it was a hot mess of a house. <laughs> I mean, it was like, I walked in, cracks in the walls that went up to the ceiling, cracks going through the ceiling. Um, there was a massive tree in the very backyard where its roots were actually growing into the foundation of the house and breaking it apart. Now, it didn't get all the way to the foundation, but it got to all of like the patio bricks and they were completely like destroyed. And just like overall, the house felt really sad. Like, I'm not going to lie. I walked through and I was like, oh, this is sad. But I saw all of these beautiful things. I saw like 
this, the high beam ceilings and the pink bathtub and the, and the original appliances in the kitchen. And I could see beyond the sadness of what this house could be. And my husband didn't see it. So I put the offer in and didn't even have him see the house. <laughs> and so then he came and he was like, oh my God. He's like, this is so much work. And he just looked at me with like complete worry in his face. And I was like, I got this. Like, I got, like, do not be worried. I know we can turn this into something amazing. And we got, we ended, I mean, there was still a bidding war, which is crazy to me that out, even out here with a house that was in pretty bad shape, there was still How a bidding war. How far out are you? I'm not, I mean, we're, we're like, we're, we're not all the way to Santa Clarita, but we're like probably 20 minutes before Santa Clarita. Okay. So we're, we're considered the Valley still, you know, we're, we're not, we're like there, I would say 30, 30 minutes to downtown. No, that's so close. That's not, <laughs> that's not bad at all. Really not. But I would say it's not like the most, like with, there's not a lot of cool, like I miss like the cool restaurants and stuff. Like we don't have a lot of that. We have nice places and there's more places that are popping up, I feel like. Mm -hmm. And there's more like, like, right, like the neighborhood we moved in was all like 1950s homes and everyone was really old. Like the person, like the person we bought this house from, she actually died in the house. So like she was 103 years old, died in the house. This is, the, this is owned by one family. So that's another reason they left this house is they moved in in 1957 and they never left. So for me, that was a total amazing, like, and they left all the, like, their, obviously she passed away in the house, but uh, her son left us all the photos of the house throughout the, all the years. Like, so there's black and white photos with the Cadillac in the, in the driveway. And like, I, to me, that was so special, like so special. Um, but I just think people need to reframe their mindset. Like, you are, maybe you're not going to be able to move, to buy a house that's moved and ready, but like, don't be scared of ugly wallpaper or carpet with nasty stains or even a nasty tree in the backyard that's totally destroying the patio. Like there are, those are the things, things you can change all those things. But if the house has a cool structure and it has like those elements that you, like I always wanted a pink bathroom with pink, you know, pink bathtub and pink sink. So seeing that I was like, oh my gosh, like I can get rid of the grandma wallpaper and paint it all pink and it's going to be amazing like mid-century style so I just think yeah I that I mean when you're looking at buying a home in a market like this in an area like this there's just a lot of things you have to um kind of put out of your head and say well I can fix this I can change this I can put my mark on this so that's what we did and to be honest it took two years <laughs> it wasn't like a quick overnight we did move fast but um we didn't we did most of it ourselves we had help I mean, the kitchen we hired contractors but we did most of the actual repairing of the house ourselves which was exhausting <laughs> um okay so you have some unique experience with a home renovation uh with vintage appliances and yep. what advice would you give for people hiring contractors to deal with a vintage upgrade Okay, so that's the, yes. Okay, great, great question. Um, so I, I'm always, I'm, I'm big on like researching people I hire, people, you know, I, I don't just call the first number and say, can you come and work on this? Because from my experience, that's never a good thing. So when we uh, looked at this house and I put an offer in, 
I saw that we had these old appliances and I was pretty sure that they didn't work. And sure enough, during the inspection, one of them had a gas leak, a very dangerous gas leak. And it was like, literally, if we had used the oven a number of times, it could have exploded. So um, the inspector caught that. And I just started to, you know, just Google everything like how, you know, I don't want just a regular plumber to come and fix this. I want someone who knows these appliances. So luckily in Southern California, there's actually two different companies that service vintage stoves. And I found a guy named um, Jimmy Antique Stove is the name of his uh, company. And he's out in Riverside. And so he actually drives to LA like two or three times a week. And he services, he, he told me, you'd be surprised at how many homes still have these stoves. So he gets called and he comes out for, you know, of course he charges like a fee to come out to the house. So it's a little bit more expensive to maintain, but I've only had to call him, I think two or three times in the last two years. So, and one time he came for free just because it was a little thing that was like messing up. But uh, yeah, I would find people who specialize in those things because you really can't trust just a, like someone who hasn't worked on something like that. Like even my contractor who we, you know, did our kitchen, he didn't know how to open the oven. Like there's a certain way you have to take off the knobs, you have to pull this one part out, then you can take the rest of it out. And he's just trying to rip it off the wall during the renovation. And I'm like, don't touch it, <laughs> you know? So unless they have experience, you do not want anybody touching those appliances because it's a skill and he learned it because I think he ended up, I think I asked him, how do you know how to service all of these? Cause he's such a fascinating man. And he was like, Oh my, I got my first job when I was 18 servicing these, these appliances. And then I started my own business. So you really want someone like that. Yeah. <laughs> he's, and you know, if something's done wrong, that's totally dangerous for your home. So uh, yeah, it's, it's, you need to have someone who's experienced. So and of course, that depends on where you live. I'm lucky, Southern California, it's easier to find. You know, the fact that there's two big companies that service antique appliances is pretty amazing. I don't know if you get that anywhere. <laughs> so it's really interesting. I had a I had an antique stove in my last rental. Oh, you did? Yeah, for two years, huge. And they were like, Well, it? if you want to get your own thing, we can get this out. And I was like, This is beautiful. Like it had two ovens, which one oh. of them didn't work. Or it didn't not work. One of them didn't have a knob. So okay. like, it was like, you couldn't turn it on, but it actually was really good for keeping stuff warm. <laughs> Cause like if I had a regular oven on, then I could just keep stuff next to it. It was so cool to have like a vintage stuff. Um, what was that in, uh, that was in LA, right? It was in Eagle Rock. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it was so like, did you ever have to have it serviced when you were living there? Oh, thank goodness. <laughs> yeah. I mean, they're amazing. Like we even considered because we had to renovate our kitchen because of a water leak. And we were like, should we get rid of the appliances and like, you know, update everything? But we're like, these things are going to outlive me. These appliances, they're really simply made and just everything's easy to fix on them. So I highly recommend them. If you buy a home or you rent a place for them, like keep it. It's, they're amazing. So. Absolutely. And you had to make a heartbreaking choice to get rid of really beautiful countertops because they had lead in them? Yeah, so we had these uh, funky yellow countertops, which I was never crazy about the color yellow. I was, it's never been like my favorite color, but it's grown on me. And um, I thought it looked good in the kitchen. But then when we had the, the water damage happen, 
they, they send out, you know, people to test everything before the demo of the kitchen and they tested the countertops and they, they contained lead. So now that's pretty common um, with anything before the 70s because it's not, it, it, it was a glazing technique back in the day when they took the tiles and they glazed them, that there was lead, I think, in the glaze. I'm not sure about it, but I think it was in the glaze or it was in the paint color and then the glaze went over it. So, I mean, I'm sure a lot of houses have lead countertops and it's no big deal. What bothered me about it was that we had cracks through a lot of the tiles and it just, it kind of was like, oh, I don't really know. And so, yeah, we, we got rid of them and I'm really happy with our new countertops. So... I have no regrets. <laughs> oh, big choices. Um, and I, okay, to kind of shift a little bit over to um, trap, neuter, release. Uh, yep. You're a big animal adoption advocate. And I just want to say this for anyone out there. This is a time where animals need homes. Like if you have the capacity to offer a home or to mm -hmm. foster animals, this is the time. And I'd love to just hear about, you know, how, what trap, neuter, release is, how you got into adopting animals and, and things you would share with the public about that. Yes, of course. So I actually did not own any animals until I reconnected with my now husband and he, he was a cat guy. He was, he brought cats into my life, which everyone thinks it's the other way around. No, it was him. Um, so he, when he, um, when he was living in Chicago and I was living here, he had a bunch of cats and we decided we were, he was going to move out here with me. And he was like, well, I'm coming with two cats. And I was kind of like, oh my gosh, I don't know. I was really, I was really hesitant because I had never had a cat in my life. I had dogs growing up and cats never seemed to like me very much. So I was like, oh no. And, and more importantly, the, uh, the apartment I was living in didn't allow cats. So I was telling him, I'm not sure you can bring them. And he was like, oh, it's a non-negotiable. It's either me or the two cats or it's not me at all. <laughs> so I was like, okay, all right, let's do it. So he brought them and I'll never forget the first night he, you know, he drove across the country from Chicago to LA with the cats. And that first night he came in and the cats, we let them in the apartment. I remember just being like fascinated by them. I was just like, what are they doing? Where are they going? Why are they, why are they, you know, because you know, one of his cats started kneading on me right away that night. And I was like, I never, I, my mind was blown. I was like, what is this creature doing? <laughs> and I fell in love so hard with his pets. I just, I couldn't believe how amazing they were and how the stereotype of cats that I had growing up, mostly from my mother, because she hated cats, was so wrong. It was everything about it was so wrong. So he actually got me into TNR because he had done that in Chicago and he had worked with different groups. And so he actually has, he even found a, found all the cats we currently have. So Oliver, my, my big brown cat, he found him and, and that litter and we ended up trapping them together. Um, and then he found Chicken Lady in a bush across from, because he goes running, like I'm not physically active and he's always jogging and stuff so he, he finds cats everywhere he jogs and he's always like grabbing them and rescuing them so it's really thanks to him and then from there kitten lady I don't know if you follow her on Instagram kitten oh you don't follow kitten lady no oh my gosh you have to follow her her, her handle is kitten x lady and she um I basically like from what 
my husband didn't teach me. I learned everything from her. So she has tons of YouTube videos that are totally educational about what, what to do if you find a kitten, uh, you know, how to give a kitten a flea bath. Like she's just, she's an amazing woman. So from there, I, you know, I kind of started following kitten lady and was like, oh, I'm so inspired by this girl. And I'm so inspired by everything she's doing. And if I can do more and be like her, that, that, that's amazing. So, um, so we went to like one of her uh, seminars, my husband and I, to learn more because we were trapping, but we didn't know what the hell we were doing, to be honest. We were like, we were probably doing everything wrong. I probably today still do things wrong, but um, you know, through her educational videos, we learned a lot on like what to do and what to not do. Because the first thing people do when they find kittens outside, they just want to take them. That's not the thing you're supposed to do. Uh, you're supposed to wait to see if there's a mama around. Because most of the time there is a mama around and she's off getting food for herself. And so if you come and take in, take in the kittens, that's, that's really bad. So, and you're really not supposed to take kittens until they're like six to eight weeks old from their mother because they're still nursing. So, you know, she has all those educational videos that kind of taught me all that stuff. Um, so that's how I got into it. And trap neuter releases basically, um, Kit, cats can, can can reproduce and have so many babies. It's just like, it's mind blowing how fast they can get pregnant after their last litter. So, you know, we have a problem in our neighborhood where people just have cats outside or feral cats and there are kittens and babies being born like every month. And so we've personally taken on our, us to, to anytime we find them in the neighborhood to trap them, find them homes. Um, we've fixed all of our ferals that, we, that we feed. Um, but unfortunately streets over, there's a lot and it's hard for me to go in. Like I just saw a pregnant cat last week, but it's somebody's house cat and I can't, I can't do anything. I mean, there some people say, no, you can go, you know, but I personally don't think it's my place to go and take someone's house cat and fix them. So, um, but yeah, it's just about trying to control the population because there are so many, uh, cats being born outside and the quality of their life is not good and it's just it's a huge strain on shelters as well because people are just dumping animals off at shelters and they're not finding homes and they're getting euthanized so so really the most responsible thing to do if you see a cat in your neighborhood will feed it first of all and then trap it if you can and then get it fixed and there's so many low-cost places that can help you with that I mean it doesn't have to be all out of pocket. I mean, sure, I've spent money out of pocket, but there are free mobile clinics that can do spay and neuter. So you just have to find those resources in your area. And one thing to note too, is that when a cat has been TNR'd, usually they have like a little clipping off their ear. That yes, so they, they do the, it's called an ear tip. And um, some people think it's cruel, but what they're not understanding is that uh, it's it's a way to identify which cats in your in your neighborhood or in the colony have been fixed. So, you know, like for example, this little old man cat just started showing up out of nowhere, and we can tell he's old because he looks like Hermione, our older cat. And uh, you know, I started feeding him, and one day I looked, I'm like, oh, he has an ear tip, you know. So someone in this neighborhood, however many years ago, fixed him. So now I know I don't need to trap him and put him through the trauma 
of going, you know, getting cut open to see that he's already been fixed or, you know, so that's, that's a very good thing to have that they do. But I know a lot of people are, don't understand why would you cut a little piece of his ear off? You know, it seems cruel, but it's not. So. Uh, yay. Scarlett, thank you for all of the work you do on behalf of the cat populations. <laughs> Thank you. And I love your little biscuit Reynolds. I see. That's his portrait behind you. His portrait. Uh, one of my neighbors painted it during the quarantine. And I'm like, oh, yes, I want a rather large painting of my cat. <laughs> it is rather large. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Yeah, he's so he's such a beautiful cat. Really How old is he? Um, don't know because he's a rescue, but he's probably, I, I clock him at about 13 just based on thinking I, I got him when he was around seven and he has like a little, you can see in the portrait, he has a little cloudy eye on one side from, oh, yes, he does. so it's probably that my, my vet thinks it's from an eye ulcer that just wasn't treated by a previous owner. Um, cause that's what can happen when like they go untreated, uh, it just, but he's so adaptable. He's, he's a lot of additional needs, but he's really adaptable and he's in, he's thriving right now I think so because how does he how did he like handle the move from LA to Washington he was so like number one I was a little nervous about traveling with him because I'd never really driven him other than to the groomer and back and the vet and like he he was great on the road trip he moving up here and he only cares that I'm here you know like so oh. he's he's been so good and it makes me feel like um and he loves going for walks outside like we can't have indoor outdoor cats here because we have eagles and hawks and, yeah. and coyotes and all the things that can eat them. Yes. Um, and, and not to mention, it's also a rule in my neighborhood, um, but you know, a rule made by concerned lesbians uh, yeah. for the welfare of the cats. But he loves it here and it makes me feel like confident that he could be a good traveler. So I'm hopeful that like, when I get a little baby RV to go on the road, I just really want like a bedroom and a toilet and a Biscuit Reynolds uh, box and <laughs> me and Jessica Reynolds on the road, you know, and like going to visit people and, you know, when that, when it makes sense and when that's possible, but yeah, I love that. I love that. He's very beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> and he's got such a good personality too. Wow. Um, yeah, I love cats. Um, Scarlett, how can people find you? Where, what's your Instagram? What's your website? Yeah. So my Instagram handle is at miss underscore Scarlett with two T's. And my shop, I'll give you my website because I'm trying to get away from Etsy. So my website is www.dirtylolashop.com. Awesome. And I'm going to put links to those in the show notes below. But for those of us who are just listening and, and aren't looking at the show notes, then they know where they can go on the IG to find you and keep up with your cat adventures and your home creation <laughs> adventures and your art and all of the things it's a visual feast and um I love everything you share and Aww, I just admire you. you so much appreciate you so much for Aww, sharing your story feeling is mutual thank you so much for having me on I appreciate it yay bye Scarlett bye <laughs>